Hi, my name is John Light, and I've spent over 20 years working throughout all corners of the recruiting world. Our podcast, Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool, is a resource to help you stay afloat and get ahead of your competition. Hi, and welcome to this week's episode of Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. I have with me CHRO extraordinaire, Suni Lobo. Suni, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Well, thank you so much, John. Uh, great to be here. C-H-R-O extraordinaire. I love that. That's going to be part of my <laughs> business card venture. There you go. <laughs> I would slap it on top of my CV or even my LinkedIn profile personally. <laughs> you know, one of the things I found really interesting about your profile when I first looked at it, you've had a series of really interesting positions. And every time you've made a move, it seems like you've moved to something that anyone's going to look at from the outside and say, wow, okay, this is pretty cool. I want to know more. And so I was hoping as we get started, maybe you'd share kind of a, a quick overview of your journey, where you started from and where you've been and how you've got to where you are today. Sure. I'm happy to do that, John. And, you know, interrupt me wherever you feel like. Okay. You know, I love that. I love that good back and forth exchange. If I want to start from the beginning, I grew up in a small little town, 22 million people, Mumbai, India. <laughs> Very tiny. <laughs> yeah, tiny. Yeah. Um, and I always joke about the, the fact that growing up in, 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 a, in a city like Mumbai with so many people, kind of like New York, gives you a sense of resilience, which I feel as I've learned from an early age and I've had a chance to hone through my, through my journey and my travels. I moved to mm -hmm. Australia Pretty earlier on, you know, after I did my first master's and master's degree in India and Bombay and moved to Australia to do an advanced master's in human resources and just loved it so much that I stayed on. I started working with ANZ Bank, which is a global bank headquartered in Melbourne in Australia and did many things mm -hmm. with them globally. So they moved me around the world. I moved to several countries with them, worked in several different countries. They even moved me back home to India. Uh, which was very novel at that time from a talent uh, management perspective. Out of university, uh, I was campus recruited by two firms. And ANZ was the only one that said, if you want to go back to India, that's great. You know, we'll, we'll recruit you and send you back to India because we've got huge operations in India. And that was very mm -hmm. innovative then for someone, an HR leader sitting in Australia, in Sydney, hiring someone out of school in Sydney saying, oh, go back We'll go back to India for the next two years and we'll, we'll, we'll enable that for you. So, you know, that taught yeah. me very early on in my career that innovation in talent management and thinking outside the box is, is really important to grow, to not only attract talent from all of, the, all of the world, but retain and grow and develop them in ways that are non-traditional. That's a really interesting point, Sunni. And I wonder... As we go along in this, you know, maybe not in this moment, but as we go along, can we revisit that idea, that notion of non-traditional recruiting and talent management and that sort of thing? Because I think there's a lot there that people would be interested in hearing. When you look around the job market and people applying for jobs, there are candidates out there who have applied for hundreds of opportunities and don't even know if they've officially been rejected. You know, some, some companies send rejection letters, some don't, but most importantly, they don't understand why. So there's nothing they can do to correct mm -hmm. it in real time, right? Is it my resume? Is it my years of experience? Is it whatever? 
But the idea of doing something non-traditionally, thinking out of the box of being an innovator, I think is, is really, really intriguing from a talent acquisition standpoint. I couldn't agree with you more, John. And I, you know, my favorite phrase that I tell all of my teams and for folks who want to listen is always be recruiting as a leader. And it's not Mm -hmm. as an HR leader, as a business leader, as any leader in a business environment. You know, when I meet people, I have it in my back of my mind that I'm, you know, maybe somewhere going to meet these people again, or I will hire them to Mm -hmm. come work with me. Because, you know, uh, talent comes in very different places. And that also leads really well into one of my favorite tenets around diversity. If you're being innovative and you're thinking about non-traditional ways to hire talent and attract talent, you are going to, by virtue of that, get more diverse talent to the table. And having more diverse talent mm. around the table, as we all know, produces better business results. But more than that, it, it is a fun, innovative environment to work in, to have people from various different types of backgrounds bring all of their stories to bear around the table with, you know, with having a diverse workforce. So yeah. to me, there's so much in there. There's innovation, there's non-traditional ways of approaching talent management, And then there's the whole idea and notion of diversity coming from being innovative around talent. I like that. I like the idea innovation can drive diversity. Diversity for diversity's sake doesn't really drive anything but that. But innovative talent acquisition to help drive diversity, I think there's a lot of value in that because you're stretching to get people that aren't necessarily on the margins, but maybe they don't fit a traditional job description for any given company. I had a guest on uh, a while back whose undergraduate work, I think, was in in literature. Yet Mm -hmm. she ends up being a CIO or CISO later in her career because somebody looked at her in a more innovative light. And, you know, now in an industry that is largely tilted towards men, here's this woman who succeeded and got into the C-suite publicly traded companies doing great and doesn't have that formal education that would have put her in the normal fairway for candidates in her, her uh, sector that she, she works in. So I think there could be a lot of value in that. I kind of sit back and wonder too, to complete off the very first question, ask you to introduce yourself before I jumped in there with that thought, but where are you today? Is it changing as fast or is acting as wonky as, most people seem to think it is right now. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've, uh, it's, it's a really good question. And you and I talked a little bit about this. I think there are all sorts of things going on in the market now. I think the most, mm-hmm. the most pertinent question for me, and I, I speak to many CEOs and many CHROs, the most pertinent question for us in our industry to ask ourselves is how do you repair the fractured relationship between employer and employee right now? Because, you know, we had okay. the... The boom days, right? When we were, we were hiring loads and hordes of people into uh, lots of jobs in Meta, at Google, and all of our the favorite places which we, that we like to recruit at. And then we went through a point over the last year and a half where we had to be more thoughtful about the business dynamics, about the macroeconomic environment which we were operating in. And I like to use the term feast or famine. And we went from feast to a famine approach talent and there were many layoffs. And I think that that has created 
a real fractured relationship with employers and employees where employees thought that, you know, I've joined this fantastic company. I'm going to have a wonderful career with them. And, and that's never going to end. I'm going to have lots of opportunities and grow and develop, which in a lot of cases when number of years was true. And then it all came crashing down. So now we're at a point where right. we have a flood of talent in the market and we have, it, it's almost a reverse situation, right? Where employers have the ability to pick and choose the best talent. And in that whole process, how does the, you know, the employee feel on the other end of the spectrum where they might be that unicorn that the employers want to, ha- want to hire, but they're feeling, hmm, mm-hmm. you know, I've just had a really interesting journey over the last year with another employer. I'm just going to be very careful on how I managed my next entry into the workforce. Yeah. So I'm seeing that a lot of talent that are very sought after are being very purposeful and thoughtful about values, about ethics, about uh, making sure that they're feeling connected and they feel like they will have a sense of belonging with an employer before making a decision. On the other end of the spectrum, I, I find that I hear from a lot of candidates that they're not having the best experience. Because there's a flood of candidates in the market, mm-hmm. it's almost acceptable not to go back to and talk to them as to why they were not the right people for the role or not even respond to calls from, from candidates or having 5,000 applicants for, for a role. And, uh, you know, recruiters finding it tough to, to even look at the 5,000 people who have applied for the roles, right? So there's this right. whole interesting dynamic of people who have a lot of opportunity and are being really thoughtful. And then there are a lot of folks in the market looking for opportunities and they're finding that they can't even get their foot in the door because they're not even getting a response. Well, yeah, I've, I've actually heard that from a lot of people and I've heard that across the functional spectrum. So I've heard that in tech. Yep. I have heard that in HR, where I have friends who are CPOs yes. or CHROs. I've heard that in finance and accounting and supply chain and ops and you go right down the list. And I know from the statistics that have come out that quit rates are down. That is to say, people aren't quitting jobs as frequently because they lack confidence that they're going to find an equivalent or better position. It's not lost on me that you had uh, the dot-com bubble, which predates mm-hmm. probably most of the people in the tech field. You know, it doesn't predate me, but it predates a lot of people who started, you know, came through college later, started working later. And they've had a decade or two decades of great run, to your point, with seemingly unlimited upside and opportunity. And they get to the point where here's this adversity and companies are saying, wait a second, we've got to protect our financials. We've got to protect our, our profitability. We've got to protect our whatever. And so we need to let people go because we overhired uh, during the lockdowns or, or whatever it might be. Whereas I come from a background where my first experience with economics was in the 80s in Texas, dealing with the oil field glut and the, the crash that hit this this particular state. Yes. And I don't know oil is a dirty word with a lot of people, but, but bear with me here. I saw a chart in 2014, 16 timeframe. I forget what it was, but it was in a business journal. And they took the oil rig count from the 80s from its peak to its bottom. And they took the oil rig count from the most recent downturn from its peak and its bottom, and they overlaid them. 
And what was interesting is in the 80s, it took a year and a half, two years to get from top to bottom. But in later time, it took six months. And so that industry sees has seen this massive compression yep. of the business cycle. And I think part of what's being dealt with here is this artificially impacted business cycle in the tech world where there was a lot of overhiring with the lockdowns. Then there was a kind of a compression where a lot of that overhiring hiring got cut. And look, I don't subscribe to the idea that everyone who got laid off is a bad employee. I subscribe to the idea that it's a variety of people who get let go. I guess a company could make a, a case that, okay, we, this person's not as productive as that person, but context matters and what context you're in and, and doing your work in matters. And, and to your point earlier, they talk about f- a feeling of belonging. Candidates and companies, I think, have to find alignment and not necessarily alignment in we want to take over the world. That it was not a pinky in the brain reference out there for anybody who immediately thought that, <laughs> but rather alignment and how we go about our business alignment culturally. Yes. And, and that does culture to me, I'm not pointing to a person from point A in the world and a person from point B uh, and differences and, and anything of that nature, but just how we go about things, because no matter where you are in the world, there's some people who are very methodical. Other people run around like their hair's on fire all the time. I think it's important that companies and, and candidates have some alignment between how they choose to go about their business. Because if that's misaligned, we spend too much energy putting on uh, a facade to make our manager happy, to make sure they cut a good paycheck for us, you know, give us a raise or don't fire us, whatever it might be. There is an experiential part of the market where candidates are starting to click to, the, to what you're pointing to, that it's not just a job. It's an association. It's a partnership. And if I remember correctly, the word company actually comes from a couple of Latin words that that, that uh, mean something along the lines of bread share. It's a lot better when the person that you're working with, if you are have a high drive factor, that they have a high drive factor versus, you know, in a situation where you try to take somebody who's very methodical and used to a lot of support and processes and you put them in a startup and expect them to thrive. They're not going to thrive. They're going to they're going to be challenged. Yeah, and and the thing you know, jumping in there, I, I think you're talking about core beliefs, right, John? When you talk about you know mm-hmm. alignment, when you talk about culture, there's something to be said about testing core beliefs when you engage with a company, right, through a hiring process for both yep. the company and for the, for the candidate and the employer, uh, and that be part of the, the the journey of discovery, so to speak, right? And if you approach, you know, you were talking to me about people asking you, how do I approach the market right now? And I think. When you're when you're looking for your next career opportunity, thinking about it from that perspective of you know there has to be a good fit on both ends, and it's not just me right. looking for my next opportunity. It's also looking for a place where I can thrive. So I, I feel the sense of belonging. When I say belonging, do I feel like I can be myself and bring my whole self to work every day, or do I feel like I need to put on a facade because there are things about the organization that I. I I am almost compelled to be like. When you yeah. find that that magic of, you know, the organization where you can be yourself uh, and bring your whole self to work, then you start doing that little bit of extra. And then you start being more innovative and you start bringing your ideas to the table because they are being, not only being heard or you're not only being hired because you have a diverse perspective, 
but it's it's being leveraged. The fact that your perspective is diverse is being leveraged. It's mm-hmm. not shut down. Yeah, well, it's welcome. You know, look, I'm a big believer. If you have an idea, put it on the table. Now, people may go, eh, you know, we've been there, done that. That's not going to work. But why not put it out? You, you know, it goes back yeah. to the old story that if you find a problem, the worst thing you can do is take the problem up the chain and say, oh, here's a problem and then shut up. That's the worst thing you can do. If you're going to have a problem that you've, you've surfaced that you need to take up the food chain, then you need to go in there and say, look, I found this. Here are my thoughts on it, about how to approach it. Uh, what are yours? And act like you care enough to collaborate. Act like you care enough to invest of yourself. And in my experience, if you put up a facade, you're burning energy. And, and we've only got so much energy every day. I would rather put that energy into being more of what I am than otherwise. And I think when candidates and when, when companies get down to brass tacks, if they spent more time in understanding what that person is, what their strengths are, and just tell them, Hey, I want more of this from you. And, or saying, Hey, I want to put work more towards my strengths. I think you get a a better situation, a better relationship, a better future, uh, more upside for everybody. But there's always going to be that component within companies that's motivated by what's on your PL and what's going on in the market or yep. sales rising or falling. And there's always going to be a part on the candidate side where you know, there's always going to be a segment of the candidate population that's chasing something other than alignment and right fit. And yes, absolutely. So you're always, you're always going to have that absolutely. disconnect, I think. It's just we need to be more savvy about it. I think you just need to lower the friction points of that disconnect, if you know what I mean, right? So making sure that mm-hmm. on both ends, you're able to to assess that more frequently than you're not, so that you end up in a situation where you have an employee that is a, you know, I like the word sticky employee, right? We talk about sticky customers. I also like to talk about sticky employees, you know, an employee that wants to mm-hmm. be part of the community in of the company that you operate in, and feel like they can, you know, grow, develop and contribute, right? And then it, there's a great relationship on both ends. Talking about that, that stickiness, you know, when you find that you don't have that same set of core beliefs, then, you know, you're, you're going to get into the problems of disengagement and quiet quitting. And, you know, I'll just be here till I find my next great opportunity. And often we find that when people have that disposition, finding your next great opportunity is more the exception than the rule. I've always found that the next great opportunity tends to present itself to the people who are busting their heinies, you know, who are doing good work, hard work. It was a Tolkien in one of his books who wrote some of the effect that the reward of well, work well done is more work and uh, <laughs> more exposure to opportunity. <laughs> you said a word earlier that, that really caught my attention and that, that word was resilience. And the reason it caught my attention is I have a, a bookshelf, bookcase on the other side of, of my monitor here. And one of the books that I really like on that list is called Top Grading. It's written by a guy named Bradford Smart. And when I started off in the recruiting business, I worked with a guy with a small firm and, and a small retained firm who taught me how to interview. And Years later, I came across this book, and top grading really is about interviewing and, and talent assessment, uh, fit alignment, and that sort of thing. And I'm reading through how, how he proposes to go through it and his experience, what's worked, and it, it's everything that, that I was taught early on. I mean, almost word for word in some cases, a little frightening, actually. But in the book, 
Smart has a, a chart of qualities that were needed in executive positions he had uh, participated in, in doing the searches for or hiring for, primarily in his time working with Jack Welch at, at GE. Out of these 200 categories, what surprised me, and I think it surprised probably a lot of people, the number one category wasn't resiliency, uh, but that was up the food chain. That was quite, that yeah. was up in the rankings. But the number one was resourcefulness. It made me pause because, you know, we tend to look, when you look at resumes, you tend to look, have they worked for a name brand company? Have they got the right education credentials? Do they have the right number of years of experience? Have they been doing the right function, had the right training program and, and these sorts of things? And we don't always consider that to truly assess a, a resume, which is just a, a stamp, an imperfect stamp of what that person is as a professional. Maybe there's some things we ought to spend more time assessing, like resiliency, like resourcefulness, because a resourceful executive, resourceful middle manager even, or a resourceful individual contributor can find ways to make do and do more with less. And have a if you have a whole group of people with that mentality in a company, I mean, you can impact the bottom line in ways that are difficult to quantify or outside of a case-by-case basis, I think. So I, I'm curious, has it been your experience that may be an area that we all overlook, both on the hiring side as well as the, the candidate side? It's an interesting question. I mean, resourcefulness is, and when we were talking earlier, I, I, took, I you know, was mentioning to you that the three main things that I look for, especially when I, as a, as a CHO, yeah. you hire for executives and you uh, hire for different positions in the organization. But as an HR leader right. for HR talent, I look for agility, resilience, and courage for HR talent, right? Mm. And, you know, okay. I, I look at that more broadly too, but I would say, you know, courage is something I specifically test for and look for in HR folks because we've often, you know, created this, the type of profile of HR professional we've created is come through the operational ranks and who might mm -hmm. not have the courage to challenge and to question and to have a point of view which is what businesses need most today. They need partners, business partners who understand how to accelerate business results, but are focused on people mm -hmm. and talent. So that's that's one thing that I'd, I'd say. Resourcefulness, I think, comes through a lot when I when I think about hiring people personally, and I look at resumes. And when you talk about this, you know, which university or college do they come from? Where do they, you know, have they worked with pedigree? companies have they done xyz right. you know if you get into the mold of just screening for those criteria you are going to get a bunch of non-diverse talent again you know when you look for resourcefulness you look for things like has this person done something non-traditional and have they been able to succeed mm -hmm. having done something non-traditional and Having your eye out to spot that and to assess for that when you're hiring for, ta for talent in your organization is really important because you want folks that have done something non-traditional in their lives and their careers to be able to mm -hmm. then, it feeds into resilience, it feeds into agility, it feeds into, I have the courage to actually question the norm. There's a lot of value in that insight and something that I 
always look for in candidates rather than where have you gone to college and what, you know, have you gone to these different, have you worked at these different companies, right? It's more around right, what right. have you done and how have you uh, been able to solve problems both personally and professionally? Because a lot of that bleeds into each other, right? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's, you know, I counsel candidates all the time uh, when we do interview prep. I tell them, don't ask questions that are binary. Uh, that is to say, they're yes or no. Ask questions that are built around how, what, when, where, why. And this listening to you say that, it's kind of like when you check the boxes, they went to the right school and they did the right this and the right that. Those are almost these binary questions. They either did or they didn't. But we miss the how, what, when, where, and why. And in my experience, if you go to the back bottom of a resume and work your way forward and ask a candidate, the reason for leaving or reasons for leaving every time, you know, you might be surprised at what you uncover that speaks to courage, agility, resourcefulness, resilience, that speaks to compassion, that speaks to flexibility, that speaks to yep. a lot of, of great qualities that companies need. You know, companies cannot be homogenous and succeed over the long run. I think you end up getting stale and you trip up and you have issues. And, you know, a lot of people, I think, that are younger in the workforce tend to look out and say, well, these companies are doing great and they're not like that. And so, you know, if you look back over the past century or so, the number of companies, and I've seen these, I've seen these studies where they show, okay, here are the top 25 companies in the U.S. 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And you see these changes happening. Yeah, it, it, it's easy to get stale and fall by the wayside. And that's not just with companies. That's with organizations, uh, hiring teams. You know, yeah. it could be a developer team. It could be an HR team that has global responsibilities or smaller responsibilities and you end up getting stale. And it's not to say we should change people in and out for the sake of freshening things up and shaking things up. But rather, we ought to be aware that there's more than a resume to a person. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and how do you, how, how do you, you know, assess for that? And how do you, you know, make sure that your screening criteria actually brings those, those, those folks and the resumes up to the forefront? Let me, let me switch gears with you for a second. And let's talk for a minute about the impact that artificial intelligence is having on both hiring teams and job seekers, on candidates I've done a series of presentations on this topic for an organization called Financial Executives Networking Group. I happen to know some people there, including a gentleman who's led the Houston chapter for a long time, over a decade. I was fortunate to, to uh, do some presentations for them in other markets like New York and Charlotte and so on. And I'm curious to get your thoughts on if you're a candidate, you're a job seeker, you know, how is AI impacting you, but also from the hiring side of the equation, because my fear is there's this impetus from the hiring side of the equation to become less human. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to get your thoughts on that, if, if you don't mind uh, dropping the bombs out there and seeing what happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think, I think this is a hot topic today, right? We're all talking about AI in I mean, not only in hiring, but, you know, if, if I think about it broadly in business and and then I, I talk about HR teams, you know, AI is really going to significantly mm -hmm. impact how we structure HR teams and what they actually focus on. I would say to folks who are 
you know, in the market right now and looking for opportunities. And I'll talk to, I'll, I'll come to what I'd say to employers doing the same thing is that, mm-hmm. you know, relationships, relationships and leveraging relationships is never a stale art. <laughs> there you go. A lot of us get caught up in this, oh, you know, there is, there is an, you know, an algorithm and an AI intervention that is going to screen for us and is going to get us the best bang for our buck from a, from a uh, employer's perspective, from resources and from a, for a candidate perspective, show me the best jobs that are in the market, for example. The most poignant relationships are the ones that you have fostered through your career and you have leveraged through your career. And those trump any AI interventions that an, uh, that an organization might employ or deploy to seek good talent out there. So I would say for job seekers, never underestimate the power of your relationships and never think that that art is a, is a stale art because that is the most important thing that can get you in the door, especially when there is this flood of candidates in the market, as I said. You know, I was just talking to a recruiter who said that they put out a, a job that was a fairly senior role and got 5,000 applicants in two days. So Yikes. you are in a yeah. <laughs> you are in a market when that is happening, and employers are going to be forced to use AI technology and tools to help them decipher what is the best talent from that five thousand list of applicants that come through. So the thing that differentiates you is the power of the relationships that you have built along the way when you've entered the workforce, and that's very important. You know, I was having a conversation a week or two ago with, a, with someone else, and we're talking about, I don't think we'll ever not have the human element in the talent acquisition process, because in the end, people hire people. And AI, I think, speeds up the numerical side of it, the science of it, if we want to put it that way, but there's an art to it, to your point. I think that's an eloquent way um, to put it, that that there's an... There's an art to this. And, you know, it's funny and it's ironic too, in a sense, you know, you look at generative AI today, it can synthesize all kinds of stuff based on on the data you fed it. But what it doesn't do is create something just from a puff of a thought in your mind. And my favorite example is, you know, what AI today, generative AI, have put peanut butter and chocolate together. (laughs) Now, I don't know about you, Sonny, but for me, this is an important topic because peanut butter and chocolate and I get along very well. Get along very well that I don't run around worrying about a beach body when it's Halloween time. Instead, I collect my peanut butter and chocolate tax from my my kids' Halloween bags. But with AI put that together, unless you know you told it to, unless you fed it that information, that the data related to it, and the answer is no. So there's an arc part of this, this thing that we do as humans that that make us what we are, that AI is still a long way from catching up with, if ever. We don't know yet. Theory of the mind, I think, is what it's called uh, from an academic standpoint. To your point, it can help the science be faster, uh, the numbers be faster. But at the end of the day, the hiring game and success in it and, and finding the right role for yourself and your success in your career is largely a result of the effort you put in to get elbow to elbow with people. Absolutely. And build those relationships. 
And Couldn't agree more. Look, that's probably a challenge. That's probably a challenge for a big chunk of the audience, right? Or of candidates out there, because not everybody's extroverted, but you don't have to be an extrovert to build a relationship. You just need to be you. And let me tell you, just speaking directly to candidates and personal experience, in most cases, you are enough. You are enough. And, and don't forget it. I'll tell you another interesting stat before we move on to the next yeah. point. Yeah. Over 60% of CEOs are introverts. For of the folks who think that being an extrovert is, is the name of the game and is going to get them their next role, please remember that stat because it's a really important one. Let me ask, speaking of important stuff, okay, I always have an important question I like to ask everyone that, that who's a guest on Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool, and that is, Sunny, tell us something about you and a passion project or something you're passionate about that really lights the fires. And maybe it's not in the HR space per se. It may even be professional, but I'm, but I'm curious to hear, you know, what, what lights your fires? Oh, wow. This is a great, great question. I have so many, so many responses. I have so many ways that I can take this uh, and so many directions that I can take this in, but uh, let me pick two. Uh, and the first one is, is, is something that I'm very passionate about. It's about, education for for girls and women globally. So my mom started this when she was alive and together with her, we sponsor a girls' school in, in a village in India where, okay. you know, there's not always the opportunity for girls and young women to go uh, to school or be educated. All of the funds that a, that a family might have is deployed towards the male child in the family. So I've mm -hmm. done this now for over 10 years. Uh, my mom passed seven years ago and I still continue my legacy. There's nothing that gives me more pride and joy than, you know, getting notes from these lovely young women from the school and who've graduated now to do mm -hmm. bigger and better things. So that is something. That, that's a great feeling. Know, hey, that's a great feeling when you help you someone can. out. It, it, it's a great feeling when they come back to you. And it's a year or three years or 10 yes. years later, it almost just hits you, you know, that, wow, this made a difference. This is impactful. And it made a difference, yes. not just in her life, but in the lives of the people around her. So kudos to you and awesome to carry on your mother's legacy. That's something to hang your hat on to be proud of. The second thing that I was alluding to earlier, um, John, was as I talked about doing something for girls' education, mm -hmm. and especially in India, the flip side of that coin is in my professional life and my professional career, I'm really passionate about developing HR talent mm -hmm. and developing HR talent globally because I've worked in eight countries, lived and worked in eight countries now wow. <laughs> in my career, which has been a fantastic ride. I've had the opportunity to meet people, be in touch and grow and develop people and work alongside people from many different cultures globally. And my one passion is to create as many CHROs as I can and as is possible and to create as many HR leaders who are good business leaders and who help accelerate uh, business outcomes. That's something that I hold really near and dear to my heart. Wow. I, I, that's awesome, in my opinion. And I, I love you carrying on your mother's legacy. And I love the fact that you look at your profession through the lens of how can I help? Uh, I, I think that's, those are, those are things that people tend to miss. Cause a lot of times we think about what's important to us is something that's, that's selfish. That's for us. And I don't think in either case, those are, are self-centered issues. I think those are 
issues that are very, very personal to the people you help. That's awesome. SUNY, thank you so much for joining us on Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. If everyone who listening actually knew the gist of our introductory conversation we had a while back, they might wonder if we would either keep going or cut another episode later, (laughs) because we could probably go on for a while. But I've really enjoyed it and I wish you all the best. And and I hope that you and I can can stay in touch. And and who knows, you know, there may be some intersections out there that happen because I can always use somebody who understands HR to uh, contribute to my realm of understanding. And on the flip side of that, you know, once in a while, I do a pretty good job on the talent acquisition side. So we'll see how it goes but thanks so much for absolutely. joining absolutely awesome you've been listening to drowning in the tech talent pool this podcast is sponsored by sabertooth sabertooth improves the quality of hire and speeds up the time to fill specialized machine learning data engineering data science and developer roles stretching tech recruiting budgets further by bringing the precision of retained search and the speed of contingent search to the market in one complete solution Find out more at sbr2th.com and follow me, John Light, on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.